I don't know whether that's a a good song or an annoying song. What do you think, chaps? I think it's a good song. Uh, it does one thing for me, which makes me alerts me into the fact that I'm in a radio studio. Yep. I saw you prick up your ears like <clears throat> like an old beagle hound there. <laughs> Yes. Even though they are under his headphones, it's quite mm. well done. I should say, just for the benefit of somebody that may have tuned in this very instant, that this is Arts About, and it's apparently the show about art that's a work of art in itself. That's true, John. You haven't been saying that. Well, I'm waiting for Swanee to say it. He did, after all, write it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? That's I'm the it. ideas man. Okay. Yeah. I can't sort of hear myself. Is that a problem? <laughs> I can hear you. Now, we have... Artist in Residence and Cultural Sounding Board, John Baird. And we have the effervescent... That'll do, yes. I e- think the Ebullient. Ebullient, yes. Ebullient. We'll have to change adjectives, I think. <coughs> Mark, like ebullient. Mark Stewart. So w- what's on today, chaps? I'm going to talk about art and deceit. Art and trickery. Isn't and, that uh, all art is trickery? The problems one may encounter mm. when... Uh, when you stick your toe into the lake of deceit. Ooh, I would imagine they're myriad in that art world. Mm. Okay, well, look, going in the same direction, I'm t- going to talk about Julian Schnabel, who was... Oh, uh, Julian Schnabel. Which I was, I mean, thankfully, his name is able to be spoken with disgust. It's well, look, Schnabel. It's, it's an onomatopoeia of disgust, isn't it? It is. Dear me. Well, look, I'm, I'm surprised by the um, veracity of your... Um, well, in fact, I'm not surprised, John, of your <laughs> response to, he, to Julian, uh, who has made some brilliant movies, of which I'm going to speak about, yeah. and I'm going to speak of his, some of his paintings well, and his... I, ex-girlfriends and how totally wrong you are in your attitude towards I don't watch his movies because I can't stand his paintings well that's and your mistake hmm. apparently yes and you've told me that before well I'm going I'm, to I'm I going can't to. see myself what? Uh, in improving that situation well, in your eyes, you know, because uh, I don't not, want to watch a Julian Schnabel movie, although I probably will go and see the Van Gogh. At Eternity's Gate. Mm. Anyway, we're not talking about your attitude to Julian Schnabel, we're talking about Julian Schnabel. Well, we were. <laughs> well, I don't really know who he is. Well, we're going to teach you something, a thing or two as well. But... Um, uh, I think the... Well, uh, am I starting? Or yeah, we're, uh, we're just having a little chat. We're giving an overview of the show. Okay, so, so what, the, what will you be talking about? Well, Julian that. and his film. Oh, I also want right. to mention that um, Karl Lagerfeld, the great uh, German-French yeah. um, haute couture clothes designer, died at uh, 85. I did meet Karl... Um, <clears throat> He was a funny little man, but an extraordinary creator of uh, women's gowns and accessories. Was he a sharp dresser, man? He was a very strange dresser. He was overweight for a very long period of his life, and then um, he lost an enormous amount of weight and started wearing very tight jeans and jewellery and earrings. And um, I think he was, one wouldn't say he was necessarily um, not heterosexual. I think he was more asexual, but extremely hardworking and influential man on a lot of people in the fashion world. If I thought horn rim glasses, would I be barking up the right tree? You know, John, that's you've got that. That's one of them. Lots of rings as well, yeah. but not so much his personal style. As that's, that's not so important as as to what he. I'm just uh, trying to bring him to mind. 
Yeah, well, look, I, it doesn't really matter. I just just a, a little blonde guy. Uh, grey, grey. Grey. Yeah. And you say French-German. Was he from Alsace-Lorraine? No, he was from <laughs> Hamburg. Ah. And uh, he moved to Paris when he was 13, I think. And hung out with you. No, I was much uh, different generation. Well, that's just the perfect segue, not to our first song. Mm. As you know, we've been plumbing the depths of uh, Brendan Telfer's B list. Mm. There there have been a a number of complaints have come in. Mm. So I looked in the vault and I found a few songs. And this one, this is an oldie but a goodie. It's Miss Ross and the Supremes. You can't hurry... A radio station. Love. Well, thank you very much, Miss Ross, for just ending like that while we were having a very earnest off-air discussion. Mm, about something other than what I would like to remark on, yes. which is uh, that song yeah. was uh, quoted by uh, Bob Dylan as the source for, of all things, the 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 smack of a snare drum at the beginning of Like a Rolling Stone. Wow. And that is an incredibly uh, totemic moment in music, that smack of the snare drum. Mm. On the smack of the snare drum, before we get started on some serious art talk, can I tell you (laughs) that do you know anything about the Wrecking Crew in L.A.? No. They were studio musicians of incredible talent and imagination. And they just held sway over all the sounds pretty much of the 60s. So when you hear all those great albums you listen to, often the musicians featured on the album did not play the music because they weren't talented enough. So they would go into the wrecking crew, people like Simon and Garfunkel, of course the Monkees, but many, many more, the Beach Boys, blah, Mm. blah, blah, Mm. blah, blah, blah. But on the smack of the snare drum... You know the song The Boxer by mm. Simon and Garfunkel? Light, light. You know that beautiful mm. sound that Hal Blaine, the drummer, put a snare drum at the base of a lift well and then put a microphone at the very top of the lift well and smacked that snare drum to get that sound. Mm. On the Simon and Garfunkel Boxer? Yeah. Excellent. Light, Yeah, yeah. And on um, Bridge so Over did Trouble... did he have to run down to the bottom of the stairwell every time that... I think he had a man with a button up there. <laughs> but he, was a, he had gr- a great imagination. And on the same album, Bridge Over Trouble Border, when the, when the piano comes in and the crashing waves and you hear that in the background, that's Hal Blaine in the storeroom with his snow chains slamming them against the concrete. Mm, mm. Now, he learned all this from a very famous French uh, composer called Pierre, uh, Pierre Henry. I very much doubt that. No, I, 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 I'm sorry to prove you wrong, Swanee. I, I think they were independently uh, imagined. They were very much influenced by Pierre Henry, who wrote the music Concrète, which I will pass on ah. to you, uh, from 1945, and they were using street sounds and sounds mm-hmm. and things, perhaps not as, as uh, they didn't have lifts in the walk-ups in Paris in those days. But he was uh, very much influenced by Pierre Schaeffer, as was John Cage. Now, do you know John Cage's four minutes and 37 seconds of silence? Yes, I do. Have you ever seen it played or heard it played? <coughs> no. No. Well, look, do look it up. Uh, YouTubers, and it's a wonderful scene of a guy <coughs> coming up to a piano, opening the piano, sitting down, putting his hands on his lap, 
and sitting there for four minutes and 37 seconds. And then putting the lid down. And then putting the lid down yes. and then everyone clapping and then leaving. Excellent. Mm. There's a period of silence in Under Milkwood, which was written into the play. Right. This is um, Dylan Thomas. Yeah. There's like... I have that on CD. Sometimes on a long road trip, I put it on. Mm. Well, when it's not making any noise, that's the period of silence that was Mm. written into it. Okay, yeah, that silence is extremely important. In music, you don't hear it very often, but I mean, I love the idea of that symbol at at the bottom of the lift because the distance would Mm. take the time. Who was the the composer, uh, Schockhausen or? Stockhausen. Stockhausen. He was a shocker. Who um, he used a lot of like reel-to-reel tape manipulation mm. stuff like that, yep. and influenced the Beatles apparently. Yes, on uh, their recordings of Sergeant Pepper's, and in fact, he's on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's. Okay, mm. good for him. Well, this is. It was also Phil Spector who was the Absolute. wall of sound. You know, he, he used to use the Wrecking Crew all, all the time. The time. I, ha- I have actually heard of this Wrecking Crew because they were they were, um, studio musicians who were of such good quality and no bullshit. They were, I'm sorry, no, they just got down to it. Well, um, Carol Kay, the guitarist and bassist. You know that song, and the beat goes on, yep. Sunny and Cher. Yep. She just sat there, and, and she put her hand up and said, it needs a little something at the start, and she just went, however it goes. Yep. Just an absolute genius. At one stage, she was making more money than the President of the United States. This is Carol Kay. Carol Kay. Carol Kay, yes. She's still around? Or? She's still around. She's a lovely, mature woman, and mm. she thinks it's all beautiful. And mm. It's a great film called The Wrecking Crew. They call them The Wrecking Crew because all the old studio musician, musicians from Capitol just up the road said that they were going to destroy the studio sound. They were going to wreck it. Because Glenn Campbell was part of the wrecking crew. Leon Russell. Leon Russell. Very good, Leon Russell. Very good pianist. Huh? Yeah. Hal Blaine, I've mentioned a few others. Just mm. incredibly good and incredibly quick on the uptake when time yes. is money. Phil Spector yep. loved them. Uh, Brian Wilson absolutely adored them. Mm. He would send the Beach Boys on tour and say, oh, so- I'll cut this record (laughs) with them. And they did all that. That was them. You know who else made more money than the President of the United States? Uh, John F. Kennedy. Babe Ruth. And when Babe Ruth was asked uh, about it, do you know you're making more money than the President? His response was, well, I've had a better year. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty witty. Yeah. I I thought Babe was a bit of a brute. I didn't realise he was that witty. No, he had a bit of charm. He liked with bashing balls liked, as well. He liked the hard life, Babe mm. Ruth, mm. and the ladies. So what was uh, Georgie Best's remark? Remember, he Georgie Best, the soccer player. Yeah. Well, he was the um, wipeout artist uh, extraordinaire, wasn't he? He said, uh, "I've made vast sums of money out of playing soccer." Uh, some of it I've spent on women, some on gambling, some on drinking, some on drugs. The rest I squandered. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've told that one before, John. Well, there was actually, uh, before our little tangent, because this, of course, is AA anecdote about, mm-hmm. we were going to, I was as the art naif, I was going to ask you chaps about Sidney Nolan mm. and his uh, place in the Australian... A of art. 
<laughs> well, look, it's. Um, I think John should speak first because my I have mixed it's, feelings. He's an uneven me. artist. I would have said uh, that some some of his paintings I just think are absolutely marvellous, and given the time at which they were made, um, they're sort of groundbreaking and very very interesting. Uh, others are just tedious beyond belief. Uh, for instance, the um, the wildflower paintings that he made for the concert hall in Melbourne and uh, a big huge mural and there's thousands of these little paintings of wildflowers uh, are quite tedious they're not sort of interesting at all there are a lot of them what, what about the one that's in the Mona in Tasmania that collection of uh, that's a big snake isn't it it's yeah well that's, a, that's from the same the same period the yeah. same thing is it the same well it was another another version of the same thing okay I, it looked okay, but I wasn't... Um... But his paintings of St Kilda in the 1940s and 50s, of people down the beach and football players. Football and... players, I've seen those. They're amazing. They're so flat. And they're yeah. so, so, I mean, he's been looking at Vincent, I think, in the way that Vincent just put blots in his figures. He was, he was sort of probably looking more at uh, what was going on in America at the time. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the American naives. Is that what you're getting? Mm. Yeah, he was up there mm. with... Um, you know, in the 1940s and 50s in America, they had all of that flat, um, abstract painting yeah. where it was all about the paint, essentially. Yes. So he removed some of the drafting and just allowed the paint to do a lot of the work. Right. And um, and it did. It did good work. The other paintings of his I like are the uh, Central Australian Rangers from an aeroplane from 1960s where he's just managed to squish some brown paint around with some rags and put these beautiful blue skies on top of them, mm. cutting into the mountain work, and they're gorgeous. We seem to be avoiding the obvious, the Ned Kelly series, which, as a child in the school <coughs> library, I always admired. Well, look, yeah. that's great that you, as a child you can admire <laughs> paintings like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just being serious. What, just say what you mean, Mark. No, well, I think a child's response to paintings is always a very good one, but it, it, uh, whether that can, stays with you afterwards is a... I, I, I just haven't been influenced at all by Sydney. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that that sort of puts him down, but I just... I, I can't think of any great paintings of his that the I... The Ned Kelly paintings were great. Yeah. And... Um, they are essentially self-portraits. He, according to himself, you know, and uh, he he thought there was some association between Ned Kelly's sort of efforts in Australia and his own. Oh my God, you're joking! No, and that was taken seriously by people, or they didn't. It was they taken laugh? seriously by him, yeah. which is the important <laughs> thing. He, uh, the, the little TV thing I saw on him, he, he strikes me as a survivor, an adroit, stepper out of the way yeah. type of guy. And he's knighted too, Cersei. Wow. Although everybody, you'll get knighted. Everybody so. gets knighted. I hope eventually. so. I want to be knighted. Yeah. yeah. Even Prince, whatever his name, I remember Tony Abbott knighting the Queen's husband. Oh, Prince yeah. Philip. Yeah. Prince Philip. Yeah. Sir Prince Philip. <laughs> Sir Prince Philip <laughs> of Tuscany. <laughs> well, that puts me in mind of that great Sidney Nolan painting that you probably never seen, but I've seen it. It's called Thunderstruck. I nearly didn't turn you on, John. Well, you have turned me on, and before, here I am. Before you start, can I oh, comment yeah. on the oh, absolute yeah. absurdity of Thunderstruck, the great Australian ACD classic, being followed directly by 
the peninsula curtains jingle. <laughs> um, did you say irony? Uh, did I something absurdity? Absurdity, yeah, yeah. something like well, that. It's definitely not ironic. a synonym for that. It's not ironic, no. Unless just, just advertising. Unless Bon Scott's mother was a curtainer. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I no, I'd be shocked to hear it. <laughs> Uh, I made a painting years and years and years ago and uh, through my art dealer who I'll refer to as AD rather than name him. Mr. X. Mr. X. Uh, AD sold the painting for me, uh, which was terrific. And uh, and I had a phone call from a woman and she said, I would have bought that painting uh, if it was available. And I'm wondering... Can you make it again for me? And uh, I thought about that and I thought, well, I really like the idea of having the money. Mm. I knew I had a very good photograph of the painting, which I used in a um, projector and remade the painting. Same size, same painting. And I was quite pleased with myself having gotten it so right. You know, it looked exactly the same as the other one took the money for it and uh, a couple of weeks later there was a phone call and uh, there was this voice on the phone and she yelled at me and called me a vile word that can't be repeated on radio. Wow. And uh, This is the same woman? No, it's the one who bought the original, the original painting. painting. Keep, keep, keep up, Mark. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, what's up? And she said... (laughs) What up, patron? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, she said, that woman that you made that painting again for buys everything that I buy. She copies me. And when I bought that painting from you, I assumed that I was buying something utterly original and that she wouldn't be able to have one herself. And there she is. She's got one exactly the same. And I said, oh, well, I didn't know anything. I didn't know any of that. And I'm sorry that that's happened. I'll see what I can do. I went and saw AD. And uh, he said, he kind of, he was kind of interested. He said, ooh, we'll sort this out. Let's sort it out. This could be good. And uh, he rang the woman who'd been offended. And he said to her, we're going to sort this out. Don't you worry. You know, because you're a valuable client to us and we don't want you to be upset. So we're, going, we're sorting it out right now. And he rang the other woman and he said, I'd like you to come in and have a chat to us about the painting that John made for you. What for? And she said, well, essentially what you bought is a copy. That is not an original painting. That is a copy. And she said, I beg your pardon? She said, it's, he said, it's not a work of origin. It's not unique. It is a copy, and uh, we want to talk to you about it. And she came in with the painting, and uh, AD said to her, that is a copy, it's not, it's not right, and so what we're going to do is John here is going to make you another painting, and it'll be a good painting, and you'll love it, and that one there will be destroyed. And uh, it's the only thing that we can do, and it's the only way that we can operate. And we all thought about that, and she said... What if I don't like the new painting? And Rod said, you'll like it. In fact, John's going to go home and get onto it right now. And uh, I'll ring you when it's ready and you can come in and pick it up. I went home and made another painting. 
same subject but different. Similar, yeah, but different. Yeah. Right, as they should probably always be, like the Picasso weeping women or whatever. Well, I thought about this afterwards. There are many paintings that are repeat versions of. Absolutely. Um, but I bought the new one in. She liked it, and uh, she took it away, and she was happy. The other woman was happy, and Rod said, "All right, that one there that's the copy." Stick it in the back. <laughs> you take that home and just change the decoration on the vase and the background a bit. Correct. Put some butterflies in yep. it and uh, we'll resell that. Beauty. And uh, I did that and uh, it was in fact, out of the three paintings, that was probably the best one. But there are, um, there are repeats, Mark, as you know. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that subject, Mark? Mm. He's barely awake. Uh, no, no, I just find it um, interesting that uh, you can let out sort of secrets like that. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long time ago. I was desperate for the money. <laughs> uh, but it is true that many artists do, you, know, you try and do a, you've done some, a good painting and you think, well, you know, sometimes you can't even remember how you managed to get there. Yeah. That's the wonderful sort of experience about the, doing Doing something magnificent sometimes. It's I think the the mistake I made was that I used a photograph to copy it uh, in a very in very, a photorealist way. Yeah, it was yes. a, it was a very convincing copy of the original painting, you know, mm. and uh, that was perhaps a mistake mm. rather than just making something similar. But the two women who were complaining about, like one woman's complaining that the other one buys everything she does. I really th- and as Ad said to both of them. You know, we're not going to get involved in that problem. That's something for you two to sort out. No, they could profit from it. So each time that they make, a, they sell a painting to the first woman, you could make a copy. Oh yeah, and sell it Bring to the second. Up. Have, a, have mm. two clients in one go. Yeah, she's bought another painting. <laughs> You're interested? <laughs> Play them off against each other. <laughs> Look, I'm not yeah, get her to start buying, and then the other one can copy her. I'm there not one to tell tales. Mm-hmm. Do that. There are, for instance, five versions of uh, Munch's Scream. Need more, more, John. Yeah, but five convincing versions. Because uh, there's some in watercolour, some in, yeah. in uh, oil, and, and a lot of them. The last one which sold for 30 million or something, didn't it? Was and uh, he didn't... It wasn't a matter of him trying to get it right. It was a matter of him reselling it over and over uh, again. again. People kept buying Keep it. Keep So he kept making it. Well, uh, Sunflowers is another example. Mm, no, the Sunflowers is a good... He did a few versions, but there was no question for him of trying to make any money. No. No, I understand that. He didn't sell a painting in his lifetime, but... Well, that was... That's, it's <clears throat> moot. He did... I think he, he sold one. He sold one, but it yeah. was uh, his brother, uh, who was an art dealer... Theo. Theo. He uh, refused to sell his paintings for, uh, for cheaper prices because he thought they were worth much more, mm. which really... Of course, he was correct. He was his greatest fan, wasn't he? Well, I mean, anyway, I won't go into... No. The, into we, um, the other area of repeat paintings, which is a little more confusing, uh, is perhaps uh, people like Barnett Newman, who made many paintings which are essentially large canvases of pigment pigment with a zip with a stripe down the middle of yeah he called them his zip paintings yeah. but he's not the only American I mean Jackson Pollock could say the same thing you know, he did a lot of drip paintings yeah many Clifford Steele same uh, Rothko you, you can look at some of his later ones those grey and black ones there are many paintings um, mm, hard to tell the difference between them well a few too many right well your brother Andrew Baird oh yes 
in Hobart does mm. these little woodcuts for mm. the Salamanca market. Mm. And if there is a particularly popular one, you know how you do limited prints, one of a hundred, and yeah. that's it, hundreds your, your, your lot, legally and morally. If, he, if, if it's a particularly popular one, he just changes something about it and yeah. does another hundred. Right. You can change the size and, of it. And you know which which is the most popular? Um, yes, it's the everybody. It's yeah. the Aurora Australis at dock there at Salamanca. Okay. Whatever that place is. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's mm. very, I like that story a lot, John. You have given some... Um, a few things away, but um, we always knew they were a murky bunch. Well, everyone can be assured that that's the only time I've done it. Right, this is a song. <laughs> this is a song to celebrate your skullduggery. It's actually got nothing to do with it, but it's a beauty. Lord, oh, I mean that was a little, on. little long, wasn't it? Well, the problem with Elton is he never wrote anything. He was just singing. Is, is that right? Songs. I thought he wrote the later ones after mm. Bernie left him. Uh, did Bernie leave him? Well, not really. They parted. Not, yeah. Um, who knows? Apparently, he's a very nice man, Elton. Did yeah. they have those session musicians playing there? Do you think so? The Wrecking Balls? No, they the should. Wrecking I'm, balls. I'm surprised Mark hasn't met Elton John. He probably has. I'm sure he has. I did. Yeah. In um, Sydney in 1976. I'm sure they used yeah. the, the English equivalent to the Wrecking Crew. They all sure, did. Surely, yeah, they did. But do you know who, just, just, just as a bookend, briefly, <laughs> uh, the, the bands that sort of wrecked the Wrecking Crew finally were actual talented people like the Eagles, etc., that could actually play their instruments. Well, this is they said about the Doors as well. Mm. The Doors were three classical musicians with a drunken yeah. poet. Singer. What a combo. That anyway, was a combo. Mark has something to say. So, uh, all right, everybody should go and see the film called uh, At Eternity's Gate, which is uh, made by Julian Schnabel. Mm. Have you seen it, Mark? Um, no, I tried to see it the other night, but I couldn't. So <clears throat> I will see it. But I want to speak about Julian in general, mm. who was born in uh, October the 26th, 1951 in New York, mm. uh, studied in Texas, so people think he's Texan. Uh, he did some amazing um, plate paintings, which uh, I saw in the 80s in New York. I thought some of them were just magnificent. Unfortunately, his paintings afterwards, his paintings became more and more abstract and less and less interesting. He was painting on tarps and bits of uh, velvet and do you remember the ones we saw in France yeah I think it's probably the ones I'm thinking about he, we went to his opening and he yeah. was there yeah. serving vodka he was handing, handing around vodka on a tree and he was also show. walking around with one of the first mobile phones I'd ever seen right and saying into it very loudly I think I'll go to New York tonight yeah and uh, the paintings were large um, almost entirely vacant uh, except for a remark, some remark about a fox up in the left-hand corner. Yeah, well, that's your memory of a one bad show. So that we we can't damn Julian just because of one Finished bad show. Finished me forever. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. For, <laughs> let's forget about his painting for the time being. We'll talk about his films. Now, the first film I saw of his was called uh, was Basquet. It was about John uh, yeah, what was yeah. his name? Basquet, the yeah. painter, who was a very good painter. Um, first, one of the first. Uh, 
coloured people to become famous for their artwork. In the vigorous, naive style. Vigorous, naive style. Also, um, in a way, um, sort of voodoo style as well. He was very much infected by... He was Haitian. His father was a doctor, um, so he was a middle-class Haitian boy. Um, Came to New York and, I mean, grew up in New York. The film was excellent. The acting was excellent. It's worth seeing. It was made in 1976. 1996, sorry. Okay, so it's about New York as well. It's got David Bowie playing Andy Warhol. It's got um, uh, some some really good actors in there as well. So, that, is this a feature film? This is a film, a feature film, or it's not a documentary. A feature film made with an actor, but it's about Basquet. Okay, so it's his version of Basquet. There's a lot of surfing involved as well. It's a really quite an interesting movie. I remember it from that time. Then you've got the next one, which is Before Night Falls. Okay which is about a uh, gay Cuban poet called Renato Aranas and his struggles in an effort to escape Cuba, which he finally does in 1980 to America where he catches AIDS and dies. But the okay. movies with um, Javier Bowden, he was given right. an Academy Award. He was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for his acting. Apparently the movie's good. Also, I have not seen that one. The next one is The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Uh-huh. Now, that is a... Uh, you should know about this one. I do. Because it's called, in French it's called Le Chaffon de la Papillon, based on the memoir written, actually blinked. Blinked. Blinked in by Jean-Dominique Bourbet, a successful, charming, horizontally very active advertising executive who, after delicious long lunch in Dover at the Casino, was leisurely driving his convertible Jaguar back to Paris when he suffered a massive stroke and woke up in hospital with a condition called locked-in syndrome, where you are conscious but can't move one bit of your body, except in his case, his eyelids. I think it was one eyelid. One eyelid. A female journalist. Uh, who was who knew him invented a system where one blink was A, two blinks was B, etc. And they blinked and transposed his memoir into a wonderful book. Really? Bobby died in 214 unblinkingly. It's a, it's a, it is an incredible story. It's an incredible story, and the book I've read is magnificent, and the, apparently the film is also very good. I didn't get a chance to see that, so that's I've, another one. I've tried to tell people about this, and they they didn't believe me. I had to re- refer them to the Google really? University. And you're such right. a well, believable person. And they what? can just listen to your, the radio now and learn more. Yeah. So the latest film is uh, At Eternity's Gate is about the final years of Vincent and is based mainly on his letters to Theo, which is a great idea. Vince is played, Vincent is played brilliantly by William Dafoe. Yeah, it's a who, good choice. It's a good and choice. Fact, I wonder whether or not Dafoe was the reason for making the film. I don't think so. Well, maybe. Who knows? Vincent is played by Dafoe and he, uh, do you remember him? He, he was played Jesus in uh, I, Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. which well, was, Daf- Dafoe's great. He's in, he's in um, the one about Bob Crane. What's it called? A uh, uh, Autofocus. Okay. Have you ever seen no, that film? No, no. It is extremely grim. You know who Bob Crane was? Uh, Hogan's Heroes. Hero. Oh, yes, he was a sex addict. They were sex addicts yeah. and they were filming their exploits. That's why it's called Autofocus. Okay. I think the camera had Autofocus. But they were completely out of control. Mm. Bob Crane was eventually murdered. Mm. Yeah. He didn't okay. die of reddish poisoning. 
No, no. but it's it's or a, it's a terribly grim, grim, grim film. Okay, I don't really oh. want to see that. Uh, he was he was very good in the Last Temptation of Christ, right? Also Defoe and uh, Harvey Carter was playing Judas, which is very good. He played it like a Brooklyn crim. He also played the Green Goblin in Spider Man. Okay, that's true. Yes, that's yes. true. I remember He's that. been in a lot of films, Defoe. Yeah. So getting back to uh, Schnabel's um, uh, At Eternity's Gate, the, the last years of Vincent's life, um, it's mostly based on the last years. So when he was in the Yellow House in Arles, mm-hmm. uh, which is now a roundabout. Pardon my mints. Yes, please. <laughs> um, and the ear incident is part of it. Yes. Uh, and you must remember that the Arlesians signed a petition asking that the mad, dirty, drunk, violent Dutchman making horrible paintings not worth a sheep's dag be kicked out of town. I would have gone along with that. Those Dutch, they're cranky, aren't they? <laughs> Which is funny because now they've got you know, the museum of to course. him and the whole, you know, it's all about Vincent, whereas at the what time... What do you think of the theory out. that the kids shot him and he didn't shoot himself? Oh, look, it's another lovely... Uh, they, he does go into that possibility in the film, apparently. So, um, but they only wounded him with that rusty old revolver. Well, yeah, but he, he died two days after. Ah, septicemia. Yeah, septicemia. The, the, the bedfellow of the 19th century. Yes, well, that and syphilis. Um, Let's not forget Kirk Douglas played Vincent as well. That's in 1956, Kirk, mm-hmm. who's still alive. And looks a dead ringer for the man, too. Not bad. He does it very well. Carry apparently, on. Apparently Which William would make um, Kirk Douglas... And that would make Burt Lancaster or Charlton Heston yep. good for the role too because they all look the same to me. Well, it's funny you should say that. Charlton Heston was in the agony and the ecstasy about right. Michelangelo, of course. Mm. Yes, well, John. Charlton. Is he the one who's the, member, the head of the N? Yes, he is. Yes. The NRA. Yes. The I point. never know whether it's Burt Lancaster or Kirk Lancaster, really. Or no, yeah. Burt died. He had a hairy chest. Bert was a great man, though. Let's not forget that. Anyway, to finish with the yes, film sorry. before you guys go on too much, mm-hmm. uh, the, the French cinematographer Benoit Delhomme yeah, uh, is a cameraman, and apparently it's an artwork of its own. Apparently, Julian tries to get into the head of Vincent, and that creates uh, some interesting little things going on. Before you start sighing, John, uh, Vincent's comment was, maybe God made me a painter for people who aren't born yet. And uh, only Schnabel could make a film like that turn into something utterly self-indulgent. Well, John, I think your your sort of pre-judgment is extremely harsh. Well, he's trying harsh. to get into the head of Vincent van Gogh in order to say he can make himself think like Vincent so that he can make a film no, like that. No, I, I think you're being terribly harsh on Paul Julian. He's trying to make a good film. Let's wait to see the film for okay, harsh. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll speak about it in the future. So, anyway, he died. Then uh, Theo died of syphilis six months later. And, and then, and Paul, their best friend Paul, went off to the South Sea. He went off to South and died of syphilis also. Yeah, in uh, with the fourteen-year-old oh, Tahitian girl. So girls. septicemia is not the, the bed, though. No, syphilis was the one. Yes. Well, Manet as well. Right. Died. Um, and then afterward, how much time do we have? That's You've it. got plenty if you just um, keep talking into the mic. Yeah, no that would help, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? The, the um, a dealer went down to uh, met uh, Theo's widow a few, few weeks after Theo passed away and said, what are you doing with all these paintings? And I don't know. And he offered her a fairly substantial cash amount, which was about a th- you know, quarter of their value. And then he went down to Arles and to look for more paintings and found some of uh, Vincent's paintings holding in the whole... Um, 
putting in the gap in the um, chicken coop and they were just up in the holes in fences and it was being used as a stop gap and he managed to get those for a couple of centimes because there were a lot of them I've been to the Vincent van Gogh Museum in, in um, Amsterdam. Amsterdam and there are three stories three yeah, floors of bloody van Gogh yeah the most best. of it pre kind of um, yeah pre excitement you know he, uh, but his drawings they've got a really good collection of drawings yeah, there. and, and the, ink, the ink drawings the drawings of uh, fields and potato fields and peasants and, and trees and the trees and stuff like that are good and the chairs but they're not starry starry night no no, no. and the, the straw chairs Lot yeah. of, lot of straw chairs. Uh, of, that was later. That was uh, more in Ireland. They didn't have so many straw chairs in, in uh, Holland. You must remember, he was also an art dealer, Vincent, for three years in, yeah, in London. Yeah. His uncle was an art dealer, so he, was, he knew exactly what he was doing in many ways. And people say he's self-taught, but he was very much involved in the art world. That painting that they had out here in the, uh, the exhibition at the NGV, mm. and they had the little painting of a grassy field... That was a mind-blowing picture. Yeah. I've seen that one before. Yeah, there's a couple. It was just electric. Yeah. Well, because when he left Paris, it goes into this in the film, he left Paris in February and he caught a train down to Arles. He'd never been to the south of France before and he arrived and it was, there was snow everywhere. And so you've got in February in Arles and in, in the, around the surrounding area, you have all the cherry and the, I think it's the almond trees that blossom first so you have these pink blossoms all over and you have the white of the snow on the ground and the blue of the sky he was just astounded by the clarity of the of the light but he came at a very special time when there was it's not doesn't snow that often in the south mm. but when he was there it was covered first impressions count they do it is very hard to find a true innocent even the sex pistols were I mean, John Lydon was a great musician and went on with public image. And Sorry, did you say? No, he was. He wasn't a great musician. Neither of them could play any... It was, uh, it was Malcolm... No. What was he, his name? Malcolm, yeah, Malcolm McLaren. Who I met before he died in, yeah. oh, in John Castell Black. Of course you did. <laughs> and, that's and, he, uh, and he was a very... All he cared about was money, money, money. Yep. It was all about that. Well, John Lydon went on to... Uh, Went on form to Public Image Limited, and that's good music, is it? And also, some yeah, of those Sex Pistols songs are fantastic. Oh, they're great. They're God Save the Queen's excellent. And Anarchy in the UK. Yeah, and it's not bad as well. And uh, yeah, there were a couple. Vivian Westwood was. I met her as well. She was a. Was well, she? She's still alive. She's still going. Yeah. Be careful, old boy. This is a podcast all Probably. the way to London. Yes. Mm. Vivian will be listening. Vivian, yeah, good Viv. luck to you, Vivian. Vivian. Well, as long as that, Vivian, not the other one. <laughs> Vivian Hopkirk, God bless his soul, mm. the poet, who is very well known on the peninsula for many different reasons, but was actually oh, a you've, brilliant mind. You've Scorpion. mentioned this fellow before. Mm. Mm. He's no longer with us. Well, that was excellent, chaps. I just have to say... The, yeah. I have something if that you, I need to say. To oh, you. yes, please. <laughs> who have, cares about the clock? I, I have nothing I need to say. <laughs> Which essentially is that if you're yes. on the peninsula this weekend yes. and it is now Sunday morning yep. and if you haven't been to the uh, Western Port Festival in Hastings, Mark, it's on right now. Okay. Well, that's it. I'll see you there. What's in it for us at the Hastings Festival? Why don't you go down and have a look and I, find I go out. to the Pelican. It's a lovely, they have really good um, eggs. I believe they're reenacting the Battle of Hastings, which is a very significant <laughs> time in our 
when, when we were kids, that's all we all, remember. All we remember, yeah. The ten, they're all walking around Hastings with an arrow in their eye. Yeah, 1066. What's the, um, the, um, what they called? Those, uh, things yeah, Abelast. Abelast. A crossbow. Yeah. Crossbow. crossbow, yeah. All right, you've just tuned into Arts About and you can hear a repeat on Wednesday. Uh, and we'll be here again next week at 11am. Goodbye. See ya. <laughs>